podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. I hope you guys are having yourselves a fantastic freaking day. Guys, I found one for y'all. <clears throat> a little bit proud of it. I'm going to say so myself. So... I got a question for y'all. How many of you out there are married? Now, I'm thinking that it's a lot of you, okay? Now, without looking at your spouse, because, you know, it's our little secret. Would you divorce him or her? Okay, let me ask you another question. Would you kill them? No, no, you say? No? Is Is that what you're saying? You liars. Okay, let me sweeten the deal. What if you could get away with it? Now, just think about that for a moment, okay? Let let that germinate in your mind. So, as most of you know, I've been married four and a half times, and the half time being because I was married to a midget. I'll also say for those of you that are bitching right now that I said the word midget and not little person, suck it up because I'm going to get way more offensive, okay? And I'll admit that, through all of my divorces that I've gotten to the point, you know, where I have to get a divorce I, and just being tired of being around each other, you know, uh, but this go, but it goes beyond that. Okay. I know that I've been uh, in relationships where I want out, but I think that we've all been there at one point or another, you know, where you just want out, <clears throat> you're tired of the whole thing. You're tired of fighting all the time, but really... What you want is, you know, a place of peace and quiet that's just kind of normal. And, you know, while I hope that some of my exes would get hit by a bus, I would have never thought about killing them. I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. I mean, and I, I know that I bitched a bit about them, you know, on the show and everything like that, but I wouldn't purposely kill them, hypothetically. Um, you know, I, I just never would think that murder's an option for that kind of a relationship, for any relationship, really. So, today's story is about one of love and loss. It's sad, really, when you think about it, and I'm going to say this, however. Buckle up, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. All right, let's get into her. It's December 30th of 1978, and the boyfriend of 17-year-old Susan Spangler came over to kind of hang out with her at the house. Um, And as I've said before, you know, uh, young love, it's great to be in love, or even old love. I'm sure that he was excited to be hanging out with Susan, as most young teenage boys are when they have a girlfriend. And hell, I'm excited when I'm with mine. It's good times. And if you you lose that excitement, then really the relationship's over. You know, then it just kind of sucks. Just kind of go through the motions. Anyway, he knocks on the door, right? No one answers. And this is, it's a bit concerning to him because Susan knew that he was coming over. So after a bit, you know, and looking around, he tries the doorknob. And sure enough, the door's open and he calls out. He's like, hey, is anyone home? Susan, Miss Spangler, David. No one answers him. <clears throat> so he went inside and that is where he found uh, just this gruesome discovery. He found the bodies of Nancy, Susan, and David. And they had been murdered. So he ran out of the house to the neighbor's house. And, of course, he does what you're supposed to do. He calls the cops. So when the cops arrive, 
and went inside. They found Nancy at her desk with a gunshot wound to her head, Susan on her bed, who was also shot in the head, and 15-year-old David was in his room with his body half on and half off of the bed. And don't misunderstand me. I, don't, I, I mean, he was in one piece. Just half of his body was on the bed and half the body was slumped over. And David, it seemed like he fought with the killer the best he could before succumbing to his fate. The police found the 38 caliber revolver and a suicide note uh, that appeared to have been typed by Nancy. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, I'm still losing my voice and, you know, my throat's just fucked up. But I make bitching excuses all the fucking time because of freaking allergies and shit. Anyway, so the odd thing about where this 38 caliber revolver was found, though, was that it was several feet away from her body. And the note had been typed out on her typewriter and it did have her initials on it, which was just N, which is how she normally signed everything. There was also a step stool uh, at the closet where Robert kept his 38 caliber revolver, her husband, Robert Spangler, stored up high on a shelf in the back of the closet. So after the cops had been there for a while and they're checking things out, right? Nancy's husband and father of Susan and David came home. And his name was Robert Spangler, as I'd mentioned. He arrived home to flashing lights and police cars everywhere and cops all over his home. And, his, you know, the property's taped off and investigators doing what they do, you know, which is investigating the crime scene. And it was up to the police to tell him that, sadly, his whole family was dead. Now, kind of wrap your head around that. You know, you just get home. Family's dead. So, Robert was asked to come down to the police station, and he did. He, he went down voluntarily. <clears throat> and he told the police that he was at the movies, uh, and he had left early in the morning, right? And he had returned home to see the, yeah, the cops were there. And he was distraught, to say the least. He even took two polygraph tests over a course of a few days, but due to his outward devastation at losing his family, the tests were proven inconclusive. Robert did tell the police that he and Nancy uh, had been having some marital issues, but they were working them out. He'd moved out of the house uh, for a short time to pursue a relationship with a co-worker named Sharon Cooper. And he met her at where he worked, as I said, at, which was American Waterworks. Uh, he was also, de he was so devastated by the loss of his family uh, that a friend of his that was a cop on the force took him home and, you know, he had dinner with this cop's family, you know, just trying to get some, getting consoled, getting consoled. Now, there was a few odd things about this case, though. One thing was that there was no fingerprints on the typewriter. They'd been wiped away. And we're talking the, talk, the typewriter that was used to write the suicide note. And there was no gunshot residue on Nancy's hands, which is odd. Since it looked like she killed herself and the kids, there was, however, GSR on Robert's hands. Hmm, bizarre, huh? However, January of 1979 rolls around, so, you know, like the next month. And the coroner ruled that the cause of death was a murder-suicide. But the rest of the cops, minus the friend that took him home for dinner, were thinking, there's something wrong with this case. This is still pretty fucked up. The only thing that they, uh, the only thing was that they, that try as they might, 
they couldn't prove their case. So, in the end, the coroner's findings stood and the case was closed. It's a cold case. We don't know why this happened. We just know that, <clears throat> that Nancy went berserk, murdered herself and the kids. So, the other odd thing was that Robert's story changed a few times during his questioning. I mean, honestly, that can happen when you're hurting inside, you know, thinking about your dead family. You know, and although heartbroken, shortly after the demise of his family, he got back with Sharon Cooper, and just seven months later, they were married. Oh, more love. I mean, maybe he just needs to be consoled, right? He needs uh, Sharon or somebody back in his life to kind of hold him close and comfort him in his time of need since his family had died, apparently at the hands of his now deceased wife, Nancy. Sad. So let's shoot the shit about Robert for a moment, okay? Right with there, you know kind of a little bit more of his backstory. <clears throat> so, he was born in Des Moines, Iowa on January 10th of 1933. So his birthday's coming up pretty soon, if he was still alive. Um, and he was adopted by uh, the loving Spangler family, where his father was a professor at the university. And his father was also a civil engineer. Robert was raised in Ames, Iowa, and that's where he met his wife, Nancy. And while they, uh, this all happened while they were still in high school, and Nancy was madly in love with Robert. And they got married and soon moved to Littleton, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, Colorado. So while in Ames, Iowa, Robert did attend college uh, where his father taught because he was expected to do that, you know. But academics weren't exactly old Robert's deal. He did graduate with a degree and Robert was more into sports and kind of physical fitness where his father excelled at academics, you know. But like I said, Robert thrived in sports. Soon after Nancy and Robert moved to Colorado, they had two kids, two youngins. <clears throat> the first was their daughter, Susan, and next was David. Uh, and as I mentioned before, Robert found a job at American Waterworks. He moved there, gets a job, okay? Good guy. And things are looking pretty good for this family all in all. I mean, even though Robert went off to have an affair with Sharon Cooper, he went back home, you know, to work on his marriage. And after it was all said and done, but... Yeah, we know that tra that tragedy would fall upon the Spanglers. And maybe Robert really needed to be with somebody. And that's why he married Sharon, like I said. You know, no. Uh, it's a plus, though, that they both had a common passion. Uh, and that was hiking the Grand Canyon. <clears throat> and Sharon even went on, on to uh, write a book or attempt to write a book uh, about hiking the canyon. And, you know, that they both so much loved. It was true, it, really, hiking the, the Grand Canyon was a true passion for both of them. And often they'd be found hiking with their three dogs and their hearts full of joy and love, just loving the hiking and the atmosphere and, and everything. So they had moved back into the house where Robert's family was murdered, and now that takes some guts. I don't think I could live in a house where my spouse had taken her life and blew my kids away, you know what I mean? But hey, that's just me. That's just me. You know, everybody, everybody's got their own kind of deal. Maybe that works for you. Like, hey, I know that Nancy blew herself away here, but it's okay. <clears throat> but unfortunately, 
bad luck would fall upon Robert again. So Robert and Sharon, they started having money issues. So Robert went back to Ames, Iowa to visit his dad to ask for some money. But when he asked his dad for some money, his dad's like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not giving you any cash. And oddly, shortly after that, Robert's dad fell down some stairs and died. Jesus. I tell you, the good thing was is that Robert didn't have money issues anymore because he inherited a tiny sum of money from daddy. But luck was not on his side. Now, maybe Sharon was paranoid or maybe she had a gut feeling, but she started to tell people that after Robert's dad died, she, uh, you know, so tragically, she felt like Robert was out to kill her or harm her in some way. Well, they divorced in 1988, and Robert had to pay her alimony and share custody of their three dogs. Well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, at least she's not taking off with the, you know, this dude's dogs like, you know, my ex-wife took off with my pit bull. So after the divorce, they still talk to each other, uh, you know, out, outside of visiting the dogs and, and what have not. And Sharon even let Robert keep two of their beloved dogs, only taking one with her. So, yeah. Kick ass, you know, kudos to her. Well, as time went on, Robert placed a personal ad and he met Donna Sundling. Now, she was a very fit aerobics instructor with five grown kids and like a gaggle of grandkids from her previous marriage. Hey, at least we know she puts out, right? Getting a little loving. Now, <clears throat> she wasn't. She didn't really didn't like to hike the Grand Canyon as much as Robert did. She had this great fear of heights, but she loved Robert. And he convinced her to sell her very nice home and put her money with his to buy a house in Durango, Colorado. So they moved down to Durango, and Robert found a job as a DJ as well as volunteered for a nonprofit organization. So, you know, he's doing his thing, and everybody, everybody loved him. He's energetic. He's full of life. Everybody loved him on, uh, on, his, uh, you know, on, on his radio show. <clears throat> I'm sorry. God damn. So, as Donna had this fear of heights, though, and didn't really want to hunt the canyon with him, that led to some more marital issues. It's really sad. So they, they know that their 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 marriage is really heading for a divorce because you know you have to have some shared common interests. Well, Donna agreed in April of '93 to go hiking with him just one more time, you know, kind of trying to save their marriage. So during the hike, they talked to several hikers, and Robert asked where they were camping. And to me, that sounds odd, but well, what do I know? I mean, maybe it's a hiker thing. <clears throat> Robert found a place to camp uh, that was a restricted area. Now, to me, that sounds bizarre. But, hey, I have a theory at why. <clears throat> I suppose that maybe, maybe he just needs some alone time with Donna. Hey, I know the feeling. I mean, you're in a tent. The walls are thin. You don't need the other campers hearing you getting freaky. And maybe he and Donna got a little loud while doing the bedroom boogie. I don't know. So, with no other campers around, you know, it's the morning time. Maybe they got a little love and do a little dance. Make a little love. Go hiking tonight. Um, they packed up their shit. And they're going to go on this hike. So they're hiking around and what have not. And uh, I tell you, man, 
Robert should have invested in a lucky rabbit's foot because while hiking, Donna fell to her death off of a cliff. Can you believe that shit? So Robert goes to the ranger station and calmly told them that his wife had fallen to her death off of a cliff while taking a picture. He said that he turned around, and then when he turned back, she was gone, like ghost, and then he saw her below, like dead. So the rangers go out there, and they found Donna's body 160 feet below the trail. That's a long fucking drop, y'all. So Robert wasn't suspected in her death at all, and why would he be? I mean, accidents happen. Robert drew national attention, and he appeared on many talk shows and TV news stations. He's doing interviews as the grieving husband, and he's been through so much, just so much, just tons of tragedy. God dang, man. This is the kind of guy you just you, you want to tell him, dude, maybe you shouldn't be doing shit because if it wasn't for no luck, you wouldn't have no luck at all, buddy. <laughs> like, maybe you need to be wrapped in bubble wrap and just... Everybody come in contact with dies and just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. So, um, while all this is going on, Sharon, this is, you know, wife number two, had moved back into Robert's house in Littleton as he was living in Durango. Robert was often in the Littleton home, and one day he came there and found a note on her bedroom door. Now, at first, Robert didn't pay any attention to it. Now, he's walking by, you know, and he would later tell the police that uh, it was her suicide note. And when he finally read it, he came into her room and found her unresponsive and next to an empty bottle of pills. Damn, poor guy. So he rushes her to the hospital, right? And sadly, she passed away like all of his other loved ones. He did, however, receive 20000 bucks from her estate as a part of a plan that would give the spouse who was alive uh, this money in case one of them died. A contingency plan that went on past their divorce and everything like that because they, they, you know, they were divorced. <laughs> so by now, with the death of Don on federal lands and a string of deaths in his wake, detectives started to link together their cold cases with each other. So the FBI was brought in since, you know, Donna died in a national park, it's federal ground. And there was only one common denominator between all of the deaths, and that is Robert Spangler. So the investigators from Arapahoe County Sheriff's Department, the FBI, and other law enforcement folks came together, and they knew that Robert was up to some shady shit, right? You know, like maybe, oh, I don't know, fucking killing? I mean, even the Iowa cops are involved in this. They're like, um, yeah, this looks pretty freaking shady, dude. Now, during all this, Robert had begun to lose his faculties. And, you know, he's like, his memory's going to crap. He feels like shit. This guy who's kept himself super healthy all his entire life, right? Goes to the doctor. And he's diagnosed with terminal lung cancer that had spread to his brain. So go figure, you know, you keep yourself healthy, you don't smoke, and you still get the lung cancer. <clears throat> so after the law enforcement had put their cases together, they started to build a profile on, uh, on Robert. And they figured that the best way to get him was to appeal to his ego. And I find that with most people. If you appeal to their ego, by and large, especially serial killers, 
Usually they'll be like, yeah, that's me. By and large, not always. So they came up with a plan. So they asked him to come down to the cop shop in Littleton, Colorado, right? And they staged a huge file folders with his name on them and boxes as well. So it looked like they had amassed this huge amount of information. You know, and they used up every resource they had to catch this killer. And as Robert's passing by these file boxes, he's smiling. Because he's like, hey, they put all that into finding me. So it had the desired effect on Robert. And as the cops talked to Robert about the cases, Robert said that it was very easy to kill and get away with it when you plan it out and go into it with a clear plan. Okay, so you get, basically you're saying, once you get your emotions uh, out of the way and you know what you're going to do, pretty fucking easy. And he was a bit proud of himself that he had gotten away with the killings for so long. So he went into details on how he killed Nancy, Susan, and David and how he planned the whole thing right down to the point of putting that step stool in the closet so it looked like she had used it to get the gun. So in the details of his confession, uh, that he had confessed to, he confessed to all the killings and he explained how he outsmarted the cops and got away with them all. The downside was, you know, he's already a dead man. You know, he's, he's a walking dead man since he had cancer and, and not long to live. And the families of the victims, they all agreed that, you know, it, it, putting him on a murder trial and, and trying to go for the death penalty is completely pointless. Since before the trial was even over or even before they could ever execute him, he's already going to be dead. And the courts gave him life in prison. Uh, and that's where he died on August 5th of 2001 in Springfield, Missouri in the federal penitentiary but you see robert had learned something from sharon ex-wife number two divorces cost a lot of money now obviously it sounds to me like he's always had consistent kind of money shaky money situations right but he learned like for example like with donna why divorce her when you can kill her and the if we're already heading for a divorce i don't want to spend all that money i don't want her to get half of my retirement i don't want her to get half of the house and and everything else, because it's always... And I don't want to pay freaking spousal support. It's... So, he learned from that. So, he went killing. And then, like I said, eventually he killed Sharon, too. Um, showing that she had overdosed on some pills, it turned out. <laughs> and his dad. Jesus Christ. I mean, you kill your dad over some money kicking down some fucking stairs? This dude is just... What a peach. What a freaking peach. I, that, that's all I can say about him. And on the outside, this is a guy that, like I said, everybody liked. But we, we see that as a consistent thing. You never, and I've, I've said this a hundred times on this show, it's never nobody like me. Nobody's going to say, dude, it's that fat, bald dude who looks like a biker, who tells the bad jokes, and he's out, you know, he's, he's just outrageous. It's always the nicest guy in the well maybe that is me because uh, i'm looking at the picture of this dude and he looks like somebody's grandpa okay even his younger pictures very handsome very athletic um a very nice guy very very nice and like i loved it no matter if it was at american waterworks or his dj position uh when they went down to durango or working with the nonprofit. Whatever he did, and their friends and family all 
just loved him. You know, really good guy. And that's really the best place to hide is out in plain sight, to be honest. Um, and that's what he did. He ended up murdering his wives. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe I should have thought about murder with my ex-wives. That would have been a lot cheaper. I'm kidding. I'm not murdering anybody. 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 All right. I'm going to wrap this one up. If you have questions, you can email us at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, or wherever you get your blogs. Also, you can email us if you have an idea for a show, um, and I'm, or even if you want a shout-out on the show. Shoot us an email, man. I'll give you a shout-out. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio, they're lying. Thieving bastards. And we will see you guys later on. Bye-bye.